All right. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to let's turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter chapter five. We're going to be in verse eight and nine today. Uh, just kind of remind us of what we've been going through the last few weeks. We've been uh, looking at humbling yourself uh, to one another, humbling yourself to the Lord. Uh, and so with that, now we're moving into a new section, uh, which can be somewhat of a daunting section. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to go uh, toe-to-toe with the devil, right? Uh, and so that can be somewhat scary, but let's, let's look at the passage. Let's read, starting in verse 8. Uh, actually, we'll start in verse 6. Let's read 6 through 11, uh, and then we'll, we'll break down 8 and 9 today. So let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word again, rejoicing uh, that, that we have this Word of our God and that we treasure it. Uh, just a good, a good exercise and practice to do. Um, beginning of verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. And God, we ask that you would teach us from your word. And Father, we are so thankful that you have already crushed our pride leading up to these moments so that now we humbly come to your word. We, we recognize how much we need you in the face of affliction, how much we need you just in our everyday life, how we should humble ourselves under your hand, how you've made this world, how you've set up our family, how you've set up the church, how you've set up everything. That, and God, as we look around, we need to humble ourselves to one another. And so it's in this humility that we come to your word. And now, now we see uh, what happens as we fight against sin and Satan and self. And so, God, I pray that today, as all of us continue this battle against sin, uh, some more victoriously than others, uh, God, I pray that we would all uh, just take heart from your word, that we would take guidance from it, and that, God, we would fight sin the way it is meant to be fought, in Christ and in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. So, like I said, we're, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to, we're going to look at how do you handle sin in light of temptation and struggle coming to you specifically from the outside. So humility and the danger of pride is something that comes up from within you. So humble yourself to one another, humble yourself to each other, humble yourself under the Lord. That's, that's from within us. But sometimes there are temptations that come from outside. How do we handle temptation when it comes our way? What can we do to be ready to make sure that if we do go through suffering, it is not because we are a thief, a murderer, uh, an evildoer, or a meddler? Uh, How do we make sure that we are fighting sin the way that God wants us to fight it? And that I love that this passage is coming to a church that is going through affliction because of their faithfulness. 
I love that he's even having to remind these churches, hey, you're being afflicted for my name, but know that temptation is still going to come. Don't think that you've won the fight just because you've been afflicted once. Don't think that you've won the fight just because people malign you. People talk bad about me as a Christian, so I must be doing really great. Uh, people don't like me, so I must be awesome. Uh, you know, don't think that just because you know things are not going great that you must be the faithful follower is never going to have to struggle with sin again. You've proven your faithfulness. The Lord comes to these churches and says, this is what's going to happen. Satan is still roaming about looking to devour you and this is what you need to do and so those of us as all of us know when we when we face temptation it is like this horrible foe that is meeting us head on how do we deal with it how do we go toe-to-toe with satan and win and that's scary that's a scary proposition because we all know this story and i wanted to read it because i I love it in acts chapter 19 right so look in acts chapter 19 you've got this this wonderful story of the sons of Sceva. Uh, and, and I love, I love, I love this story, uh, where, uh, verse 13, we'll begin in verse 13. Then there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Uh, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. And for some reason, I always picture it like a New Jersey accent. But they answered them and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom uh, was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them. I don't know what that means, uh, but it can't be good. And overpowered them. I have mastered you. uh, And overpowered them so that they fled out of that house, what? Naked and wounded. So when we hear, hey guys, we're going to go toe to toe with Satan. You should be going. All right. I remember what happened with these guys named Sceva. So how's it going to go better for me? And look, if you do not fight sin the way that the Bible says, you are going to end the situation naked and wounded. Maybe not physically naked and wounded, maybe physically naked and wounded. But if you do not fight sin the way that the Bible says, if you just come at sin the way that the world tells you to fight it, which is normally, well, don't fight it, that's you, or the way you think you should fight it, you know, I, well, I know the Bible says I should read God's word and I should do this and I fight it with my brothers and sisters and I should pray, but I think I'm just going to try harder. Uh, whatever it is, if you fight it the way you want to fight it, if you try and handle temptation from the other side, your way you will end up beaten in this. So what I don't want us to do is say, hey, we're going to go toe-to-toe with the devil, and then you all walk out of here listening to, like, Carmen's the champion uh, and figuring you can just fight Satan any way you want to, and you're going to win. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you fight Satan in Christ, and and you've already won. That's a good point. Uh, But you've got to fight it the right way. And and the good thing is Peter's going to tell us the right way. He's going to tell us how to fight it, what to do. And so that's what we're going to see here. He starts out uh, in verse eight. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So the first thing that we've got to do in 
in fighting sin is we have to be ready. We have to be ready. We have to be alert. We've got to be ready for the problem before the problem gets there. One of the things we deal with in sin so often is we try and be reactive rather than proactive. And so sin and temptation comes and we're like, oh, I got to fight it now. And then let me put on the armor of God. Let me get ready. But that's not what he says to do. And so he starts out, he says, be sober minded. Which really is just the word be sober. Be sober. Now we've, we've seen already twice this call to be sober. Remember that in our translations, we add the word minded because he's not just talking about physical sobriety. He's not just saying, hey, you want to beat the devil? Don't be drunk. Although I would encourage you, if you want to beat the devil, one good thing is not to be drunk. Uh, but that's not what he's just, he's not just saying, hey, the key to fighting the devil is just, is just not getting liquored up. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is you need to be sober in your mind. That's why all, almost all translations, a lot of them will add sober minded because it's getting across what he's really, what he's really talking about. And we've seen this, for example, in first Peter chapter one, verse 13, therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So already back at the beginning, remember the great blessings from God. So when he's laying out the gospel for them, that is going to be the foundation for the rest of 1 Peter. And let's not forget that. You want the foundation for being a good servant in 1 Peter. It's all, all of this is built on the months that we went through laying out the gospel Uh, He says, in that, you need to be sober-minded. Prepare your mind, gird the loins of your mind. Isn't that right, Zachary? Isn't that what it is? Uh, So so remember that and and be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Chapter 4, verse 7, we saw the same thing. The end of all things is at hand. So what? Therefore, be self-controlled and what? Sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The, the, idea of the, the idea behind the sobriety is that you, you, you never know when temptation is going to come. And often you never know where it's going to come from. So you want to make sure that you're not unprepared for it. I mean, to, you know, when, when you're heading to a town, one of the things you do on, the, on these American roads uh, is you'll look and you'll go, hey, 15 miles till wherever, right? And you'll know. Hey, kids, how much longer do we have? Or the kids are, you know, how much longer? And we're like 15 minutes or you can say an hour. You can look at that. No, okay, this city's going to be here in about 15 miles. Temptation's not like that. The devil doesn't send you, sin doesn't send you a letter saying, hey, I just want you to know tomorrow morning, your husband's going to be less than affectionate and you're going to be tempted to be mean to them. Uh, So uh, I'll see you then. Signed. Uh, you know, sin. That's not what happens. And so since we don't know when it or where it's going to come from, you need to make sure that you are sober, that your mind is ready at all times. This is why in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, although, although drunkenness was forbidden for all in the Old Testament, the kings and priests weren't supposed to drink at all because it says they needed their minds to always be ready. 
And since it was so important that the king's mind be ready at all times, if a situation comes up for the nation and he finds out, oh, I drank a little bit more than I was supposed to, I'm a little bit foggy brained, and all of a sudden I have to deal with that, or a priest is having to deal with holy things, it says, and all of a sudden he's been, he's been boozing maybe a little bit too much. He went a, a little bit into drunkenness. It says, look, you, this is why they couldn't touch the stuff or weren't supposed to touch the stuff. Why? Because it, they needed to always be ready. Because you never know when danger is going to come, either nationally for the kings or spiritually for the priests. So you're always ready. Always, uh, always ready. So the Christian in the same way must always be sober in their minds because of the constant danger of both internal and external temptations. Uh, Of course you don't know how temptation is going to come from people outside of you. We don't even know. You don't even know when temptation is going to come from within you. How many times have you reacted a certain way and you went, well, I don't know where that came from. You know, it doesn't, it's not like, it's not like your internal clock is going 10 seconds to blast off, you know, and you're like, and let me tell you this. And it's like, well, maybe five seconds. Uh, you, you, these things just spring up where they well out. And if you're not ready for them, then normally bad things happen. You need to always be prepared for temptation at all times. But again, sobriety is not just a passive term. Normally, when us, when we say be sober, it just means don't be drunk. But it also means not just don't be drunk, it means be ready. Which is what we saw already in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, when it talked about preparing your minds and be sober. Be girded up for action. That's, the, that's why I was making sure that was right. You gird up the loins because you're ready to go. You're sober, you're ready. There is in sobriety a preparedness. You're not just sober because being drunk is bad. That's not the only reason you're sober. You're, you're sober because you want to be ready. You want to be ready. And we see this actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. How? Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So a sober person isn't just someone who's not drunk. A sober person, it says, is someone who's ready for battle. You be sober. How do you do that? Put on your armor. That's how you're sober. Being sober isn't just don't booze up. Being sober is be ready for the fight. Put on what you need to put on. Be prepared. Put on, as this says, put on faith. Put on love. Put on the hope of salvation. That's how you're sober. It's not just what you don't put in. It's what you do put on. So yes, sobriety is don't fill your mind with the things of this world, but it's also be drunk on the spirit. Fill your mind with the things of the spirit. Be ready for battle. So sobriety is not just what you put off, it's also what you put on, which is, again, a common theme that we see uh, in, in Scripture. A sober mind is a mind not just empty of sin, it is a mind that is filling itself constantly with righteousness so that it might be prepared for the fight. And, and I, think, I think that sometimes why we lose the fight with temptation is we think that the, the battle for being ready for sin is just the, the one of not being drunk. You know, okay, uh, the way I prepare for sin is just not watching the movies that I'm not supposed to watch, not putting in bad things in my head. That's how I'm sober. That's how I prepare. 
But really, there's a preparedness in fighting temptation that I think a lot of times we forget. That, that a sober knight is one who never assumes that when the battle comes, he's going to have time to put on his armor. And so when the Bible says be sober, it's saying don't think you can go through life knowing where it talks about the armor of God. And so I'll turn to that passage uh, when I need to get there. I'll, I'll know where to, I know I'll, when temptation comes, I'm supposed to put that stuff on. Here, what did Paul say in 1 Thessalonians? He says the sober knight, the sober Christian is one who already has those things on. So when the, when the Bible tells you to be sober, it's telling you to be ready, be already putting on, be walking with the armor of God on at all times because you never, never know when or where the battle's going to come from. If you had advanced warning, then yes, you could put those things off and then you could don them at the appropriate time, but you don't know. And so you've always got to be sober. And that means you have to constantly be putting on faith, love, hope. Those are things that he says we've got to put on since we belong to the day. If we don't want to be overcome by the night, if we want to be, as it says, children of the day, children of the day walk around with their armor on. Being a child of the day doesn't just mean you don't walk in the, in the night anymore. It means you walk with the armor of the children of the light. So if, if we're going to be ready for temptation, okay, so temptation is going to come your way. How can you, how can you be ready? You need, you need to be prepared. That means not just putting off the bad things, but putting on the good. You need to be sober-minded. And remember, when you read be sober, you need to be thinking, that's not just about not being drunk on the world. It's about having my armor on at all times, which is why normally when you talk to people about falling into temptation, it often comes after when you ask them, have you been reading your Bible regularly? No. Have you been praying? No. Uh, Have you stopped coming to church? Yes. Uh, All those things that are tools to help us equip that armor are often things that we have put off. And so when temptation comes, we're trying to fight it, but we're fighting it with our armor laying over there. Uh, And no wonder that uh, we are easily wounded uh, when that happens. So we need to be, uh, be ready with that, with that armor on, but we also, not only do we need to be sober, we need to be on the lookout. So we need to, we need to be watchful. And that's the next thing it says. It says, uh, be sober-minded, be watchful. The, the, the word there, uh, watchful, is where we get the name Gregory, which I just thought was neat. Uh, yeah, just the Greek word is Gregorios. Uh, so it's just the name Gregory. It means to watch. As Christians, uh, we're not just to be reactionary. We're to be proactive. And so we uh, need to see the sin before it becomes a problem. We need to be watching for sin. So part of our being ready is being sober. You've got the armor on, but then you don't have the armor on and you're leaned back in your chair with your arms crossed and you wait until you feel something hit the armor and then you wake up, you know, ready to fight it. Uh, You are looking constantly in and around you. You are watching for the tentacles of sin to start latching onto any part of your life. 
You have to not only be prepared for sin, you need to be watching it. Again, very similar to the idea of the, the sober idea, because the, it's, it's that we are always ready. In fact, that word watchful, being watchful, is, is often translated as being awake. You be awake. Don't be sleeping. Don't put on the armor and then go to sleep. And, 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 and so you've got like, no one puts on the armor and then goes to sleep. Battle's coming, right? You hear the horses charging out there and you're like, I think I'm going to take a nap. Uh, let me put on my breastplate and my helmet and then lay down. Uh, there's a reason those things aren't comfortable because you're not wearing them for comfort. You're wearing them to survive. And so as Christians, we're putting on this armor. We're putting on the armor because we know battle is coming. And so as Christians, we can't then take a moment where we sleep. One of the things we can do is be so glad that we've got on the armor of God that we think that's the victory. We're like faith, love. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been doing all these things. And we're not watchful for sin. He says, we need to be awake, be always watching to see where sin might be coming from. We see actually these two words, be, be sober and be watchful in, an, in another passage, First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, where it is translated as be awake. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us Keep awake. That keep awake is the same word as that's translated watchful in 1 Peter 5, 8. So let us keep awake and be sober. Since we don't know where temptation is going to come from, or, or, or sometimes we do know, maybe it's because we do know where temptation is going to come from. We know, especially, especially true when you know a common temptation for you is maybe how you feel about your wife or how you think about your home or what you think about your job or what you think about your church or what you think about like these things that, you know, I know when temptation comes, this is where I tend to fail. If you know that, then be extra watchful in those areas. If you had a castle and the castle was surrounded by open fields, except behind it was this really dense, dark forest that led right up to the castle walls. You would not post all your men looking at the open plains that you can see enemies from miles away and then be like, who's going to come through the forest, right? Nothing bad comes out of a deep, dark forest. If your heart has an area of your life that, that your battles tend to come from there, you need to be watching that extra careful. You need to be watchful. Be on the lookout for sin for temptation in your life. We as Christians cannot sleep. We do not sleep. There's a warning to pastors, do not sleep. You never get to sleep, pastors. You never get to sleep in taking care of your flock. And there's another warning to Christians. Christian, you can't sleep on temptation because temptation is not sleeping on you. It's going to be it's going to be waiting for you to doze off. It's going to be waiting for you to let your guard down. And that's when it comes. And so we need to always be awake. I love what it says. Why do we not sleep? We don't sleep because we belong to the day. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 said. We belong to the day. The Lord has rescued us. He's rescued us from the night. He's rescued us from the things of the night. The glory of the Lord shines all around us. We are no longer ignorant to the dangers of sin. When we were slaves to sin, we didn't even realize we were slaves. 
And now that we've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness, we know the danger of sin. And so now that we're in the light and that light shows all the creepy shadows that sin was, now we've got all the more reason to to always be watching in our lives. Where might temptation come from in my life? I've got to be ready. I've got to be ready. I've got to be watching where I know it's going to come from. And I've got to be watching where I don't think it's going to be coming from. I've got to always be on the lookout. A Christian awakened to the dangers of darkness would be a fool not to be on the lookout for that darkness return. If God shows us our sins, how foolish would we be to lay down our heads and stop battling when we know how dangerous it was and still is to our lives. So as, as Christians, we need to be ready. We need to be ready for temptation to come our way. So that's the first step. Because again, we often miss this and we just want to start battling sin when it's already there. Often when the enemy's not at the gates, often when the enemy has kicked in the gates and we've already messed up, he's already taken part of the castle. And then we're like, okay, it's starting to crumble. The walls are crumbling. This looks like he's about to overrun us. Like, what should I do? The Bible says, let's go back, zoop, zoop, zoop. Let's rewind that and see when it comes to temptation, the first steps are being ready. Always having your armor on, always being on the lookout for where it could come from. So, so how do we make sure that we're ready? We stay sober. We're not drunk on the world. We're prepared for action Putting on the armor, faith, love, hope, always keeping that armor on. You can never take it off. There can never be a moment where it's okay to not live the righteous life. The moment you take it off is the moment that sin will attack. In fact, if you're taking off that armor, right? If you're like, I'm going to take off righteousness and faith and that sin already attacking you. If you think I will just take this armor off for a little bit, I'm tired. This armor is heavy. You know, I'm t- this is a tough life. The, your desire to take it off is already something that should be putting bells in your head. The enemy is within the gates. Be watchful. So when you're a watchful and you're awake, never sleeping on sin, those two combine those pictures. And what you have as a Christian is like a soldier prepared for battle and recognizes they're on the front lines. And if we're on the front lines, you're always going to be ready. You're always going to be watching. No one in the trenches, let's say of World War I, no one was in the trenches and like, oh, I forgot we were in a war here. You know, we were play- here we were playing cards and getting trench foot. And you know, what do you know? Well, it's actually part of a big war going on. When you're on the front lines, you know it. You know, shell shocked. As Christians, we are on the front line. So you need to be ready. You need to be ready. You may feel insignificant, but as a member of the Lord's family, Satan wants you to fall. Satan wants the kingdom of God to be disparaged. And so make sure that your life is always ready for that battle to come. And then the next part of the verse is going to make it very clear how we're on the front lines. Because look at what it says. Why are we sober and watchful? Why, hey, why do we need to be sober and watchful? What's going on? You know, what's the situation? God, what's the big hurry? And what does he say? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So a pretty big deal. If you were somewhere and like if you were going from your house to the grocery store and someone called and said, hey, on your way, 
be ready because there are lions afoot. Uh, you would probably take certain precautions. And uh, you're having to go to the grocery store. You'd probably do a grocery pickup at Walmart is what you would do. And then you'd never let them worry about the lions. I'm staying in my minivan. Uh, but if that's what the Lord does here. He says, why do you need to be watchful? Why do, you need to, why do you need to be sober? Because the devil is wanting to get you. Uh, so pretty, pretty intimidating idea uh, of what's going on. The devil is prowling around wanting to devour someone, anyone. He'll devour you. He'll devour any, anyone's life. As, as Jesus said in John 10, 10, well, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, right? And that's what he still does. He's just stealing, killing, and destroying. He's devouring. Anything, everything, he wants, to, he wants to ruin the image bearers of God. Uh, and he hates, he hates righteousness. And so, and he just hates people, just in general. So, just devour and devour and devour. So, the devil, it says, is looking around. He's looking, ready for the fight. The devil's ready for the fight. The devil's wanting the fight. He's wanting someone to devour. He is on the prowl. So, we can't rest. Because the devil certainly doesn't like when you play, like kids, kids, watching them play games. This is what's wrong with this generation, right? Everything is base, right? And everyone has a thousand timeouts. Uh, and they're like, timeout, 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 timeout. Right before they're about to be tagged. You know, you see like this, this race and the other person's reaching out and they're like, timeout, timeout, timeout. I'm not it. I called timeout. Or they'll go and they'll be like, this is base now. This is base. And you're like, there's a thousand bases out there. I know that was base and that was base. You can't do that in the battle against the devil. You can't do that in temptation. You can't be running and be like, I forgot. Time out. I forgot to put my armor on. And the devil go, all right, I'll give you 30 seconds. You know, he's not going to do that. He's not going to stop and be like, well, whatever you need to do. I didn't realize you weren't ready. I did not count to five and then say go. Uh, and so since I didn't do that, you are free to prepare. He says, you need to be sober. You need to be watchful because the devil is coming. He's roaming around looking for someone to devour. And if you knew a real lion was doing that, you would prepare yourself. And this is much greater than any earthly lion. And so if you know that's what the devil is doing, of course you would make sure that you're sober. If there was a lion about, no one would go and get drunk and walk through the savannah, right? If there was a lion about, no one would just say, well, I'm going to go to sleep. Surely the lion's not going to get me. And then Jesus says, that's exactly what's going on. There's a lion about uh, Satan is, is looking for us like a, like a, cornered and and mortally wounded beast he's raging against god's kingdom he's raging against its citizens so you need to be prepared but there are a couple of truths about fighting the devil that we need to get across before the fight because i don't know if you're aware of this but there are a lot of uh, sort of sensationalized pictures of christians fighting the devil uh, and what that is and what that looks like and how you slay him uh, or whatnot So what do we know about the Christian and our battle with uh, the devil? Uh, What are some things that that we can know about that, our battle against the devil and Satan? Well, one is that, I don't know if you know this, some people don't. The devil and Satan are the same. So when you see the devil in scripture or you see Satan, those aren't two different people. It's the same person. 
Okay, so the devil and Satan are the same. If you're like, I don't know about that. How do you know that? Well, we can talk about specific examples in Scripture uh, of how we see that. Uh, but it is pretty clear in Scripture that the devil and Satan are the same. Now, they have two different names, which can be useful. Uh, the, the name devil means accuser or slanderer. The name Satan means adversary, your adversary, your opponent. And, and I think those names can help us understand how it is that Satan works, because that's how he gets the name. These are like nicknames for what he's doing. It's like a, a eternal version of Pilgrim's Progress, right? Uh, you got Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Well, what's his deal? Well, he, he's a worldly wise man. Uh, you've got Mr. Gullible. What's his deal? Probably that he's gullible. So this is Mr. Adversary, Mr. Accuser, Mr. Slanderer. Uh, uh, John Bunyan wasn't onto anything new here. Uh, he was just grabbing what the Lord had already done in, in the names of, of Satan and the devil is, is getting that picture. And that's what we see. Satan is our adversary. The devil is our adversaries. And one of the chief tools he'll use in being adversarial with us is accusation and slander. Satan will, will slander God just like he did in the garden. Isn't that what he did in the garden? God does not want what's best for you. That's not what God wants. He's afraid you're going to be like him. He is already slandering the one good name, right? Now, how dare they slander my good name? Well, if they knew anything about you, if they knew what you knew about you, they'd know your name wasn't all that good anyway. Uh, but this is actually slandering the one good name out there. And it's the first thing that happens. Satan comes out slandering God, causing us to question God's love, causing us to question God's purpose. That's what your adversary is going to be doing. Satan will slander God in your mind and in temptation. Is that not what happens all the time? I know the good that I'm supposed to do, but I also know what? That sometimes I don't want to do that. I want to do this because I think this might actually be better for me. I know that God tells me this is what makes me happy and this is what will bring my joy. But Satan comes and says... No, 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 that's not going to be what's better for you. It's better for you to take this apple and eat it. But God tells me not to. But that's not what's better for you. So Satan will slander the good name of God. And Satan loves to accuse. Satan loves to accuse, to use guilt. This is, if you look in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, you can see that he continues to do this, that he accuses the brethren all the time. And that's what he'll do. Sometimes as believers, Satan will try and remind us of the guilt that Christ has already paid for. And so when you're trying to be righteous, he'll try and accuse you and say, you're no good. You're no good. Give in. You've never been good at this Christian life. And he'll bring up sin and temptation and things you failed in the past and make you feel worthless. And you've got to remind yourselves of the truth, which is that that sin has been paid for on the cross. Triumphing over you, buddy. And so Satan will come in and accuse us. He'll, he'll slander the name of God. The other thing we need to know is that Satan is real. Satan is real. He's not. It just, well, just look at this verse. The devil is really prowling around. The, the devil is not some figment. He's not a force. He's not negative energy out there. He's, he's not all the bad thoughts of mankind sort of combined into this ethereal, you know, goo. Uh, he's not just something that culture has made up to grasp you know, the, the broken parts of humanity, Satan is a being, a, a thing. But he is not a thing 
even though he is real, he is not equal to God. Satan is not the opposite of God in the sense of he's not, he is not God. So he's not everywhere. He's not all powerful. He's not omniscient. It's not like you've got God and then sort of the, the yin to his, to God's yang is the devil. Like these opposite forces equally battling each other. And the devil gets one in and then God's like, ah, but then God gets one in and it's just king, 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 this close battle. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? That's not what's going on. That's what often you see people how they describe this sort of battle between good and evil that battle between good and evil is is not a real battle because the devil's not not up there these are not these are not equal opposites in scripture the devil is never put on the same level as god never in competition with with god in fact satan is uh, actually still under god's sovereignty Satan has to ask permission from God. Take, for example, the book of Job. If you remember the book of Job, one thing we miss is in the story, Satan doesn't ask for Job. In the story, God shows Job to Satan. Look for the, well, look, not for example, look at that thing. Job chapter 1, 7 and 8. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And we're going to see a lot of first Peter in this. Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So Satan is, is roaming. So he's, this is what Satan does, right? Roams about seeking to devour. He says, I was walking on the earth, going up and down to and fro. And uh, God says, hey, in your walking for someone to devour, have you seen Job? Job of it when he was like, gee, thanks, God. Uh, you know, like Satan's, like when you're reading that about Satan's looking for someone to devour, you don't think that God's like, hey, have you considered going to the First Baptist Church of Bakes? Uh, you know, that's not the invitation that you want the Lord passing out. But that's what happens. Satan doesn't look for Job. God shows Job to Satan. And even then, Satan doesn't have free reign to do to Job whatever, whatever he wants. So it's not like God points out Job and then Satan's like, ha now I can do whatever. God still has to give him permission to afflict Job. So Job chapter 1 verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. So he lets him. Only against him, do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So he says, look, okay, I'm going to give you permission to afflict Job, but, all, but I don't want you to touch him with your hand. You can't do that. And Satan's not like, how dare you say that to me? Like, let's, let's spiritually arm wrestle for it and see who wins and you know, it's a cosmic battle. It just, Satan just leaves. He just leaves because God has said he could do this and he goes and he does that. So Satan is not outside of the sovereign control of the Lord. We, we know that the Lord is sovereign over all things, and that includes what Satan can or cannot do. Uh, Satan does not have free reign to do whatever he wants, and God's like, oh, I better piece that together, and oh, he's over here doing that, and oh. Now, there are some paradoxes in our fight with the devil about our specific fight that we need to know. The first paradox is that the devil has been defeated. So Matthew chapter 12, 28 and 29, 
This is all the way back. Jesus is casting out demons. He says, but if, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So Jesus says that his casting out demons, he says, this shows that the strong man has already been bound. In this case, Satan. I, I mean, I can't cast out, I can't go inside the strong man's house and loot his stuff unless I've already tied up the strong man. So he says, in casting out demons, that's what I'm doing. This shows you the kingdom of God is, is here. Uh, that victory, though, is further culminated, sort of a progressive sort of victory. It's further culminated in the cross. So in John chapter 12, verse 31, this is that, that great segment in John where he transitions into the story of the cross. It is now the Savior's hour. His hour is here, the time for his glorification, the time for him to be, you know, metaphor, lifted up. And what does he say? Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So not only is Satan bound, Jesus says Satan has been cast out so that the Bible can say that Jesus has triumphed. Not that Jesus will triumph, but that Jesus has triumphed over these things. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Satan has already been disarmed. He's been beaten, put to shame, triumphed over in Christ in the cross, as Colossians 2 goes on to say, nailing that record of debt to the cross. So Satan has been defeated, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't hold any sway in this world. Right? Uh, Satan still has sway in this world. He's still got a world full of his children. I'm not talking about a world full of demons, but of unrepentant mankind. And Satan still has those that he influences so first john chapter 5 verse 19 says we know that we are from god and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one literally it says we know that we are from god and the whole world lies in the evil one that word power isn't actually in the greek it's just a way for people to try and some people put it in there some people don't depending on your translation the uh, the idea is that satan still the world the fallen world in first john 5 the fallen world is still in satan Right, uh, And we're going to see from Ephesians 2 in just a second what that means. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 that we are in this present evil age. And to see Satan still at work in this fallen world, when it says the world still lies in Satan, what does that mean that it lies in the evil one or in evil? Uh, well, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us uh, it's where we were before salvation. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So even though Satan's been defeated, even though he's been triumphed over, even though the strong man has been bound, he is still working through these sons of disobedience. So Satan's been beaten by Christ, but yet he's still at work. But that does not mean that we need to fear him. We do not need to fear Satan. First John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God, that's talking about Jesus, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 
So God protects his children from Satan so that he cannot touch them. That doesn't mean he, they can't, he can't tempt them. doesn't mean that he can't bring anything into their lives. This is just saying God, if Satan can't beat what he can't touch, right? And so the, the idea that, that in our lives we're going to be children of God, but Satan's going to swoop in and destroy us is something that cannot happen. It says that Christ uh, protects us. That the evil one cannot touch us as his children. In fact, the Bible says, it is Satan that needs to fear us. He can't touch us, but we're going to see that we can very much touch him. Look at Romans chapter 16. So he can't touch us, but look what we can do. 1620, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As believers, our lives are a perpetual crushing of Satan that, that foreshadows the final crushing that happens at the return of Christ when all his enemies are placed under his feet, uh, under his footstool. Uh, in fact, he does need to fear us because in Christ, we have already beaten him too. So 1 John 2, 13 and 14, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Well, how can you say that we have beaten the devil? Uh, because Jesus says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, I'm writing to you, young men, you have overcome, not will overcome, not, hey, young men, be encouraged. One day you're going to overcome the evil one. He says, I'm writing to you because you have overcome him. Uh, verse 14 makes it more clear what he's talking about. It says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is talking to you. This is young believers, even young believers. The work of the word in us has already beaten Satan's hold on us. He has already been beaten in our lives. His sway, he has already been triumphed over by Christ's work in us through the word. So that 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 explains it a little further he says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That's what does it. Every believer has overcome the evil one, overcome this fallen world. How? Through the faith that God has worked in them. But all those things, okay, yes, uh, Satan is real, but he has been uh, defeated. Uh, he holds sway, but you don't need to fear him. He needs to fear us. All those things doesn't mean the fight is over. The fight is still ongoing. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 lets us know that this battle is still taking place. So what does it say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our present struggle is still against these spiritual forces. So this battle is still ongoing, even though we have won, even though the victory has happened. The example people give all the time is like D-Day in World War II. Uh, when the invasion of Normandy happened, D-Day, well, that victory was won. The war, in essence, was over. But they weren't in Berlin yet. Uh, there were still years of fighting left to go on, but they were defeated. It was all just this backward sort of motion for the Axis powers. And that, that's what's going on in our life. Satan has been defeated, but the battle is still ongoing. So since the battle is still ongoing, not only, I mean, that's why we need to be alert. We need to be ready, but we don't just need to be ready and alert. We also need to be active. And that's what we see going on in verse 9. 
He says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same types of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So you need to be ready in your fight against sin, but you don't just need to be ready. You need to be active, actively resisting Satan. Our job as Christians isn't just to be observers. Our job is to be warriors. We've already seen that observation assumes a fight. Remember, to be sober, you put on the armor. So you don't put on armor unless you plan on being in a fight. So he says, you look out for the fight. And then when the fight comes, you resist him. You resist him. Because you're going to need that armor in the fight. That's what the armor is for, to help us stand firm in our fight. And that's what we see here. What do we need to stand firm in? How do we resist the devil? Being firm in our faith. Look at how Paul describes standing firm in Ephesians chapter 6. A passage we often run to. I'm being tempted. Let me run to Ephesians 6 and find out about the, the armor of God. How do we stand firm? Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And this is very similar to the armor that Paul mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 5. We need this armor in the fight. We need, just looking at here, we need truth. We need righteousness. We need peace. We need faith we need salvation we need the sword of god's word and we need prayer and notice it was prayer both for ourselves and for others he says pray at all times and pray for us in in our fight as well one of the ways you help battle sin is not only to pray that you would uh stand firm against sin but to pray for your brothers and sisters in their battles against sin as well uh so let that be an encouragement to you because that can help you it wouldn't it be nice to know that you weren't the only one praying about your temptations Wouldn't it be nice to know that you had a church that was full of people who were mentioning you by name, not just when your problem came up, right? If the only time you pray for your brothers and sisters is when they've already been wounded in battle, you have failed at doing what you need to do in wearing your armor for the Lord. Because even Paul has to say, hey, and you need to pray. And by the way, pray for me. And if Paul can say, by the way, in your fight against sin, pray for me, then there's no reason that you shouldn't be praying for every member of this church for battles that you see or don't see. So let me just encourage you, start making a list and and check it every Sunday and see who you need to be praying for, because that's part of putting on the armor of God. And this is just teaching us, we do not resist the devil on our own terms. You can't fight sin the way you want to fight it. We don't beat the devil because we're powerful. We defeat him because the work of Christ in us is powerful. That's why he said to those young men what he said in 1 John. He says, you're strong because the word of God abides in you. He said, you've overcome the world. Why? Because of your faith. So yes, they had won. The young men had won. But it was all because of what God had done in them. Not because of who they were. And so Peter says, resist the devil. How do you do it? Resist the devil standing firm in your faith. Resist the devil not trusting in yourself, not going, I've already beat you, or I adjure you by the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims. Like, don't do that. Like, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, who is in me. So before you touch me, 
Uh, you better realize who you're messing with. He's like, I, who are you? And like, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Christ in me. And if we fight faithfully, if we hold firm our faith to the end, we have nothing to fear. And, and you need to remember that. It's holding firm your faith to the end. The battle doesn't stop when you call uncle, right? Satan, you're not going to just struggle with temptation until you've struggled with it as much as you can bear. And Peter talked about this in 1 Peter 2, bearing and bearing under and keep bearing under and all those things. Temptation, temptation just lasts till it's over. The battle lasts till it's over. And you've got to stand firm in your faith. In fact, it is Satan who has reason to fear us in that, not us fear him. James chapter 4 Verse 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Remember James 4 and 1 Peter 5, very similar to one another. Submit yourself to God, humble yourself to God. And what does it say? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and what will he do? He will flee from whom? You. If we submit to God and in our submission to God, resist the devil. If we hold firm to our faith, he flees from us. If we stand firm against the devil, we do not have to fear what he can do to us. It is our faith that beats him. Our faith, like that of Psalm 22, that even if he takes our physical life, even if the Lord allows that, he cannot touch our real life. It is that faith that conquers him. So in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, it can say, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. So we need a faith that stands firm. And it's a faith that can stand firm, not just because of God, but also because of our brothers and sisters. And this is where we'll end. Look at what it says at the end. You're ready, you're active, because you are not alone. Knowing that the same kinds of struggles, sufferings, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to mankind. And that's true. It's true whether the temptation was idolatry and, and sexual morality, like it was in First, uh, first Corinthians, or like in First Peter, whether it's a temptation to doubt God, to fear, to anxiety, to persecution. Paul encouraged the Corinthian church to fight temptation by knowing that they're fighting a struggle that, that God hasn't allowed just to come their way and no one else's way. They're not alone in their battle. And the same is true for this church in first, these churches in 1 Peter. They're not alone in their fight. And so they need to take heart. The things that you're suffering are not things that only you have or are suffering. You're not alone in any battle. You're not alone in any struggle, any temptation or any suffering that comes your way. You are not alone. Sometimes it feels that way. It feels like you are. It feels like no one has ever had to go through this. No one, no one knows what it's like. And we'll even say those things. No one knows. No one can know. And when you say those things, contra to what the word says, which is you can know that these sort of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So if it's suffering coming your way and it's got suffering, and it's not because of your sin. No, 
Christians throughout the world are suffering like this. Or if it's temptation, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if it's temptation, you're like, no one's been tempted like I am. No one, no one has ever had to bear temptation like this. You can know the temptation you're facing is not only are you not alone, what you're facing is common to man. So you are never alone. And it's something about knowing that others are fighting the same battles with us that, it, that can encourage us, that should encourage us. If you feel like you're the only one struggling with a particular situation, you might feel like you're defeated already. You might feel abandoned by God because he gave you this temptation. He gave you this struggle that you're lesser than other believers because they don't have to struggle with it. They didn't have to go through this. So the only reason he gave this to me must be because he loves me less. Talk to Job about that. Talk to Job about why the Lord allows suffering in your life and that it might actually not be because he loves you less. That the temptations that come your way, that those things that, that when it seems like the devil is roaming about, seeking to whom he may devour, and it seems like he's stuck in a cul-de-sac around your heart, always looping back to you. And you're like, hey, you're to and fro. Seems like you've forgotten to go to fro. It seems like you're just at two a lot. And we feel that way about our temptation. And we feel as if the Lord has heaped this upon us. Why have you let him come here, Lord? If you're sovereign over where he goes and what his forces can do and my heart, all these things, why me? And it's not just you. It's knowing that you can be firm in your faith because others have gone through the same thing. But let me encourage you in this. Be careful that you don't feel encouraged unless you meet others who have gone through the same thing. There is a common temptation for us to say, yes, I will only feel encouraged that others are going through it when I'm able to talk to someone else who's going through the exact same thing I'm going through. And then I'll feel encouraged because I've met them. There is no meeting them here. He doesn't, he just tells the church, hey, no, others are going through it. He doesn't introduce them to the others. He doesn't say others are going through it. They should be here in two weeks. You guys can create a small group with each other and talk about what you're going through and then you'll be able to get through it. What does he say? You can know you don't need to meet them because what is more powerful isn't meeting these other people, but believing the word of God. And God says, know that there are people throughout the world going through what you've gone through or are going through. And that promise, that promise from the word, you're not alone, is more powerful from God's word than it could ever be from the mouth of another person. And God promises us that as you struggle, as you fight against Satan and self, sin, be ready, be alert, Be active, resist him, and knowing that you are not alone. What sort of meditation can we have? One, Christian, you are in a a battle. You're in a battle. So recognize that today as you close your Bibles. If you go home and Satan stabs you with a temptation, you can't go, I wasn't expecting that. Where did that come from? The Lord has told you, be ready, be sober. Sober up. For some of you, this is that sobering up like that old western dunk in your head in the bucket of water situation. 
Because you've just kind of glibly been walking around life, falling into temptation, falling into sin, never being ready. And the Lord has grabbed you by your drunken head and dunked you in the water. And you're coming up going, <gasps> that's right. The battle is here. It's real. And you've got enough wounds and scars that you should have known about it already. And so he's telling you, hey, Christian, sober up. Sober up. Be ready. Be watchful. Put on that armor. Don't wait for the fight to come. Put it on now and be looking for temptation to come from anywhere. Don't give the devil even a foothold in your life. Got to be ready. You've got to resist him. Firm in your faith. And then remember, you are not alone. You are not alone in this battle. We've got one another. You've got others that are struggling with the same things. You've got others that are going through the same temptations, the same fights that may manifest themselves in different specific ways. But you've got everyone in this church is fighting the same battles. And not even everyone in this this world is full of believers going through the same thing that you're going through. You have not been abandoned. You are not alone. And if you will believe that, then you'll start doing what Ephesians 6 said. And you'll start praying not just for yourself, but for everyone in this church body. And not only are you not alone because you've got one another, we've got the Spirit, we've got the Father, we've got Christ. We've got the Spirit indwelling us, that same Spirit of Christ that cast out demons because the strong man was bound is living and active in us. So Jesus can say, you're going to do even more powerful things, greater things than I did. That spirit is dwelling in us. We've got the father watching over us as a father watches over a child. That father will never abandon us. He will never forsake you. He is not so weak that when Satan comes, you ever have to worry that your dad won't be able to stop that guy. He is watching over his children and we've got Christ, the foundation of our faith. In the end, our hope isn't in us. It's not in our ability to overcome sin. Your hope in this is not, oh, I can overcome sin. Your hope is not, oh, I can resist it. I can crush Satan under my feet. Our hope, our certainty comes from Christ. Christ who has already won and Christ who is in us. The word of God abides in, abides in us. That Christ that the demons feared is the one that the Bible says protects us so that they can't even touch us christ is both the motivation for our fight and the assurance in our fight we fight because christ has won and we will win because christ has won let's pray